Welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Enlightenment, where we open the door and take down the walls of the therapy office. Hi, I'm Oakley Ogden, a licensed professional counselor and coach with over 17 years of experience working with young adults. In this podcast, I unpack the profane to recognize how the tough stuff is the sacred stuff. Join us as we explore it all, the taboo topics and otherwise nothing is off limits. In this space of safety and love, let's work it out and learn how we can all build resilience and strength of character to make each day count as we live our best life and have fun doing it. Hi, and welcome to the first episode of Sex, Drugs, and Enlightenment with me, your host, your guide, and resident therapist, Oakley Ogden. So I'm a licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a coach, and I'm also a mindfulness practitioner and guide. And what's the difference between coach and psychotherapist? A psychotherapist works on the past, all the stuff that came from childhood and how it messes with our being in the present moment. And a coach is someone who creates goals with you for the future and supports you to live into those goals and achieve them. So having both is very, very, very uh, helpful in the work that I do today. I wanted to take some time on this first episode and introduce to you where I come from, how I became what I am today, and where this podcast came from. I have had the very great honor to lead transformational workshops and programs all over the world, and it's taught me so much about human design, mental design, and the spirit of humans. And With that, um, I get to take all of that experience and show up with you today, which is pretty, pretty cool. When we all went into lockdown in 2020, a time that none of us will ever forget, I had a private practice and I had a little wellness center in which I saw my clients and shared office space with other practitioners. And because of some autoimmune stuff that I had dealt with through my life, It only made sense for me to go online along with so many other colleagues. And I began to see more people online. One, there were more people seeking therapy. And two, it was just easier somehow. I could just wake up, turn my laptop on, and get to work. There was no transition time to the office or back. And so at first, this seemed like a great uh, experience. However, it did not take long for me and many and many, many of my colleagues to realize that we were in a mental health crisis in our country. Now, this is a result, in my opinion, of many different things. One, lockdown forced us to be with ourselves. There was nowhere to go. There were very little distractions. And we just had to feel our feelings for the first time in years, maybe decades for some of us. So one, we were forced to feel our feelings. Two, we couldn't get away So we had to be with the people around us, or we had to be alone and get confronted again with what our environment looked like, who the people were in our lives, and who the people weren't, and who were the people not in our lives. I could say it like that. Three, we're getting more comfortable talking about mental health, and we're seeing more and more anxiety and symptoms in young adults that are being talked about for the first time. 
You see, a lot of older generations felt the same things that young people feel today, anxiety, depression, but there was a credo, just push through, pull up your bootstraps, keep going, and it was a different culture. And now we're living into a different America. We are giving birth to a brand new culture. And we are all doing a lot of work right now. We are in totally unprecedented times in our country. So here we are in lockdown, in an obvious mental health crisis, and my books are totally full. That means the hours that I am seeing people are full. If I add more hours, I will start to compromise my own balance, well-being, and health. And I'm already pushing the envelope. And then I turned and looked to my right, and my colleagues' schedules were full. And then I turned and looked to my left, and all the rest of my colleagues' schedules were full. And I thought, this isn't okay. How are we going to get to more people? How are we going to support those folks out there that really need support now, not later? (sighs) So here's a caveat. While I was in my private practice, I had the great honor of working with hundreds and hundreds of young people. And now at this point in my career, I've clocked thousands and thousands of hours. And I'll talk more about my background in a moment. But while I was sitting there with these extraordinary young souls, I noticed that I would give them one tool, maybe a perspective change or a tool to combat anxiety or a tool to create a new perspective, as I said, but something that they could use day to day to create something new for themselves. Okay. That's all I did. And these young people would come back into my office and they would regale me with stories that were so profound around how they changed a relationship how they decided what was healthy for them, what wasn't healthy for them, how they revamped their uh, focus in college in the classes they were taking, and how they were completely making different, new, and better choices that were aligned with them. They came in using language that I had never even taught them, language that they weren't exposed to around their peers. And I thought to myself, If their peers could hear them now, if their peers could hear the wisdom and the awakening and the motivation and the inspiration that is coming out of this young person in front of my eyes, we would have a different world. Or certainly more young people would feel supported and connected and empowered and inspired and not so alone. On top of that, I got a lot of beautiful, beautiful comments from young clients saying, I wish you could see these sorority sisters. I wish you could meet with my dorm mate. I wish you could work with my sister. I wish you could work with my brother or whoever, whatever. And again, hours were full. Even if I added a couple more, it wouldn't have made the difference that I'm talking about today that I was looking at from the perspective I'm looking at today. So I had that awareness, I'll say, running through the background as we entered into the pandemic. And I thought, you know what one way to reach more people could be? 
is a podcast. However, I didn't see it like that. I had an idea. Could we mic this session and could other people just listen in on this session to hear this amazing brilliance of this client in front of me so that these people can hear each other? And I thought, you know what? Let's do it. So I welcome you to a series of episodes in which I have taken down the walls of the therapy office, basically given me and my client a mic and given you the privilege of listening in. Now, these are not my everyday clients. These are one-time sessions. And we both know, or maybe you don't know, that really great therapy is a result often of the relationship that the client builds with the therapist. And in these sessions, I'm still learning about this person. They're still learning about me. But you're going to hear really deep sharing. You're going to get insight into tools that make a difference. And we're even going to do some follow-ups with some clients. And I will call these people clients, just for the record. We've anonymized these shows, so you're not going to hear names, places, identifying features, all to protect their privacy. And these clientele are all between the ages of 18 and 26. You see, there's no roadmap for when you leave college. And even if you don't want to go to college, there's not really a great roadmap for that either. So these years of development where you're transitioning from being a young person into being a young adult are just sort of, hey, kid, you should get a job, learn to pay your bills, and good luck, right? And so one of my missions is to begin to map out that transition terrain, to map it out so that we don't feel so lost, so confused, so alone, and so freaked out about what's around the corner. Because just a couple tools, a couple moments of encouragement, and some insights have been able to change the course of some of my clients' lives. Now, I do work with some pretty heavy stuff. Depression, anxiety, suicidal tendencies, abuse, even rape. All different kinds of trauma, I would say. And my skill set comes from a lifetime of doing my own work and a lifetime of very, very vigorous and passionate study of personal development. I can't remember a time in my life in which I was not fascinated, interested, and even obsessed with the mechanism of the human mind and the mechanism of the human spirit. So you're not only going to hear me play the role of therapist, but you will hear me tap in and dip into some tools that are really inside more of a spiritual uh, context. My background is um, a master's in counseling psychology. I have been practicing with young adults, running different programs, workshops, teaching all over the world to thousands for almost two decades now. That's amazing for me to think about, two full decades I've had such an extraordinary trajectory that has been held and supported by some of the most amazing teachers and mentors 
who are still teachers and mentors in my life today. And I am really a result of their support and devotion and curiosity and willingness to help walk me through some really, really swampy, dark, wild stuff from my past. And once you do that walk, I have noticed there is a little bit of fearlessness that begins to arise. And that fearlessness is what I bring with so much love to sit with you, to be with you in even the scariest moments so that you can recognize that these scary times, these scary moments that we're so afraid to put words to, that we're so afraid to even speak, are the exact spaces where our greatest power and empowerment and healing lay for us. They wait there waiting for us to walk into that dark room so that when we walk out, we're stronger, wiser, and brighter as a result. So I do bring healing work. You'll hear that. Healing is different than psychotherapy. And I do have a background in coaching because of my own journey. So let me tell you a little bit about myself. So I went to graduate school, loved it, um, was always interested in psychology and people. I was given opportunities to be with people um, in sort of a therapeutic context from a young age. So I was um, leading different talks about rape and abuse in high school. And I was a mentor for underclassmen in high school. I went to boarding school. And then I graduated and I took a year off and traveled all over the world and started studying meditation worked my way through the Hawaiian Islands, worked my way down through South America, doing odd jobs and weird internships, and <laughs> learning a ton about mindfulness for the first time in a really, really specific way. And then I went to college, and there I found a mentor who began to teach me deeply about the mechanisms of the human psychology. And we did this through really deep training. And we also did this through experiential. So deep hours of meditation and guided work to discover what was going on inside. We kind of walked through the dreamscape world and more. And so everything was one step and then another step and then another step until I found uh, the teacher that I study with today. And I have had the great blessing to teach on her behalf and travel all over the world. It might be safe to say that I'm getting close to 10,000 hours of sitting meditation. It might be safe to say that. But what really matters more than anything is the support that I've received through my journey. So on November 11th, 2014, I was in Colorado on a work trip and I had just given birth to an incredible program that still runs today called Young New Yorkers. It was an alternative and still is an alternative to incarceration for young adults in the state, uh, in New York boroughs, I should say that, in the boroughs of New York. And I helped develop this program with Rachel Bernard, who's just an extraordinary soul, powerhouse of sorts. We had launched it, we had run it, it was a huge success, and it kept going. And now it was running without me, and I got a phone call from the Center for Juvenile Justice in Boulder, Colorado, and the lead of that said, we would love for you to come out, 
and see what you can do. Could you build a program similar to the one you just built out here in Boulder, Colorado? And I said, I don't know, but I can give it a try. Let me come out for a three-month assessment. So I had lived in Colorado. That's where I'd gotten my uh, master's. And so I was back on familiar territory, and I had some friends to go hang out with. So I was driving my boss's old car, and there was a light rain, just a drizzle, and I stopped at the grocery store and got some food to contribute to this dinner. I was on my way to go up into the mountains to see my friend up in the mountains for dinner. And I remember the radio was playing, which is really random because usually it's my phone plugged in, but this car did not have that capability. So I remember listening to the radio and this really soft uh, song, Somewhere Over the Rainbow by Izzy. Do we, is that right? Izzy? I'll look that up. Um, the big Hawaiian, uh, beautiful, beautiful man who used to play um, the guitar. It's not even called a guitar. I think it was the ukulele. And I'm listening to that song, which is a song I hadn't heard in years. And I'm thinking, oh, this is so sweet that this song is playing. And I've got a big bag of groceries in the back of the car, and I'm heading up the highway into the mountains, light rain. And this light rain begins to increase and increase. And I keep driving and I keep going. And there's an age-old adage, right, that bridge, bridges freeze first. We should all learn that one. Bridges freeze first. And I'd always read these signs on the side of the highway, bridges freeze first. And suddenly, my car, the back tires of the car, were swinging out of nowhere, hard to the right. And I was crossing a bridge. And I had hit ice. I had hit black ice. And I gently corrected, and the car swung back towards the left. And I expected the car to find purchase in the middle, right? To come back into the center, find purchase, and then we'll just keep driving. We'll get off this bridge. But the car didn't do that. It swung heavily through the midline and went all the way off to the left. And that's when I thought, oh no. And I gently corrected and the car began to spin. I had two thoughts during this accident. One, this car is going to hit hard. I am going fast, and that cement median on the bridge is coming at me hard and fast. It was illuminated by a headlight, and now there was snow. The rain had turned to snow. Two, let go. That's all I thought. Otherwise, it was absolute, complete stillness, complete silence. And so I watched this car that I was inside of careen towards the middle of the highway, still on the bridge. And as it was about to hit the cement wall that demarcated the edge of the road, I let my body go loose. Now, the reason I did this was actually because of therapeutic training I got in graduate school about how when babies often are in accidents, they survive because they're so surrendered, because their bodies are so limber, and they're not holding anywhere in their bodies. So I thought, 
I'm going to get really hurt unless I surrender into this. So the car hit. I let my body go limp. And the next thing I know, I open my eyes. The airbag has exploded into my face. The windshield is shattered and the car is totaled. I'm facing oncoming traffic and I can't get out. So we all hear about that adrenaline rush that happens during that time. I did get that. It did not make me superhuman, but it made me very determined I was going to get out of that car. So I threw my whole body weight into the driver's side door and it cracked open and I fell out onto the highway, which was covered in ice. I couldn't stand, so I crawled my way to the side. But then I was so worried, so concerned that someone was going to crash into this car standing in the middle of the highway that I made my way back into the car and somehow reversed the car off the highway, off of the bridge, into a ditch on the side of the road so that no one else would hit the car. And now it was blizzarding. (sighs) Let's all take a breath for a second. This is an intense story. And it was an intense time. And the reason I'm telling you this story today is because up until that moment, I thought that I had it all together. I thought that everything I was doing, how hard I was working, the identity I had as a therapist, the groups that I had going on globally, I had taught all over the world by then, Trinidad, Tobago, Japan, Ireland, just to name a few, and countries in Europe. And I had more, more groups brewing. I was about to go down to Australia. I was about to return to Trinidad, Tobago. There was a lot going on in my life. And I was proud of myself. And I identified with it. Now, I wouldn't say that I had a sense of necessarily obvious arrogance about it. But I certainly, certainly thought that what I was up to was up to me. It was on my shoulders to get it done. And the harder I worked, the more successful I would be. Got that? So let's listen to see how that changed for me. So I pulled this car off the, dry, off the highway. And one car came by, said, are you okay? But I was in shock. I had no idea if I was okay. And I said, I don't know. And he got scared and drove away. Okay, fine. So right behind him, the first plow of the night shows up. And he looks down at me from his huge perch in his big, enormous highway plow, Colorado style. I mean, these things are tanks. They're beasts. And steam was coming off of it and lights were shining. It was dramatic. And I was a tiny little pipsqueak next to the road. And I looked up at this man and he didn't say one word. He just got out of his truck. He came down the steps. He took me by the arm. He put me on the driver's side of his, or the passenger side of his truck inside, sat me in the warm uh, cab, handed me some paper towels to wipe the blood off of my face. And he said, have you called? an ambulance. And I said, yes. And then he just turned and faced forward. And we just sat there in silence together. And I just breathed and I let my body stop shaking and shivering, which was the adrenaline more than the cold. 
And I slowly thought out and the fire truck and the ambulance and the police and everybody showed up. And he said, okay. And I said, okay. And I got into the ambulance and I had no idea how injured I was, just for the record. I was a really tough nut, by the way. I was living with chronic Lyme disease and I didn't know it. I was struggling with memory and processing and I, and I didn't do anything about it. I just thought I needed to sleep more, run faster, eat more kale, more green smoothies, take more supplements. None of that stuff was working. But I just kept focusing on my work. And so I climbed into the ambulance and they said, all right, let's go. And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm okay. I'm walking. I'm talking. I'm okay. And they said, okay. And they got a call for an, from another accident down the road. They said, if you're not going to take this ambulance, then we got to go. I said, okay, take, then you can go. And I called some friends that I was going to go have dinner with up the mountain. They came down and they picked me up. The car was completely totaled and got taken to the garage. And I went up to my friend's house where I would eat and I would go to bed. And I would go to bed with a swollen brain and a very, very serious head injury. Now, to this day in my life, this is the one regret that I have not going to the hospital. It is a miracle that I am alive. That is true. And I didn't know that that was going to be a miracle until the next morning. So I wake up in the next morning, the next morning, my head is throbbing. I am completely concussed and my brain is swelling. And I still don't go to the hospital. Now, here's where adulting comes in. I had not been on my own health insurance until that time. And I, my health insurance was not active for another two weeks. So I was without health insurance. And I thought that this was all going to be out of pocket. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to go because it's all out of pocket. So I'll just, I'm okay. I'm walking. I'm talking. I'm okay. I must be okay. And that's how I was relating to all of my life. There's an underlying something going on, but I'm okay. So I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going. I'm taking a breath because I know some of this is resonating with you listening right now. So what happened after that? What happened after that is a lot. It took me three months to come out of my concussed state. And my mentor and spiritual teacher called me and said, I think that you need to go to a specialist. And I said, I agree. And I agreed because now my memory was completely screwed up. And I thought it was the head injury. So a couple months later, once I'm really, really out of the window of concussion, I get on a plane and I go to this doctor. And this doctor runs a series of tests. And she says to me, you know that you have chronic Lyme disease also. And this is the reason that everything's felt so scrambled. Your brain is going to be fine. You will heal. But we have to work on this chronic 
inflammation that's going on in your body and this chronic infection. So you remember, I had a lot going on, a private practice, groups all over the world, all the things, da 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 And so I had to call every single person up, every client, every group, international calls being made, and say, hi, I'm going to go on a sabbatical because I am not well. My health is super screwed up, and I need to dedicate my entire self to getting well. And I thought it was the end of my career. I thought this is it. This is the end. Nobody's going to ever want to work with me again. Nobody's ever going to respect anything I do because I've just been walking around barreling through unconscious pain here that is now conscious. I thought it was the end, but I had to take that risk. I had to let the bridge burned from the past. So I transferred all of my beautiful clients to incredible therapists and they all thrived with their with the colleagues I sent them to. I canceled all the groups and I went deep into getting well. I also got a job in retail, by the way, after many years of working as a therapist. Suddenly now I was working retail. So I went to my job when I could I made uh, pretty terrible money, and I went to these treatments every week, and I had a pick line in my arm, a little tube from um, my arm all the way to my heart where we could hook up medicine uh, multiple times a week. And I got certain, you know, IV bags of medicine and all this, and now we're about a year in, and I'm starting to feel better, but we're not quite there. And then we're 18 months in, and now I'm really starting to feel better. And my doctor pulls me into her office and says, I have to talk to you, Oakley. And I say, yeah, what's going on? She said, I'm giving you the same medicine that I'm giving everybody else. And you're the only one getting better. And I don't know why. And I looked at her sort of you know, surprised. But there was a calmness, I remember. And I looked at her and I said, I think I know why. And she said, well, what? What's going on? And I said, well, you've been treating me for this year plus. I've been doing unconscious reprogramming work with an extraordinary person. And she said, okay, And I said, and I've been digging in even deeper to things I thought I had worked on, that I thought I had completed, that were in my past, I thought. But I found layers and I found beliefs about myself that I made up as a result of those experiences and those traumas. And I found all this other stuff and I've been changing it. I've been creating new thoughts. I've been creating new beliefs. I've been living in to a future that I declared for myself. And I think that's why I'm getting better. And she said, I'll give you one month. I want you to reopen your private practice and I'm going to send you my patients. And that was the rebirth of my life 
as not only a therapist, but someone who champions the transformational development of another. And the practice filled, I got to work, and it was a whole new world. A whole new world, because now I understood more deeply than ever before the intricate connection between the body, the mind, and the spirit. Everything I had studied began to come together. All the Eastern studies of mindfulness and deep meditative practices and energy bodies and energy systems, the Western world of psychology and childhood trauma, personal development and attachment wounding, and now the neurological scientific reprogramming in the brain for thoughts and beliefs. And they all began to fuse. And I fell in love again with my work. And I fell in love again with being a witness to the extraordinary transformation of another human being. Because that's what we're all ultimately here for, is to support one another in our greatest transformation. So that when we're born, we have grown ourselves into someone extraordinary by the time we die. And if you want to get spiritual about it, we can talk about what death really is in my belief system. Because really, it's just a shedding of the body. And your spirit can live on and on and on and continue to develop. So we use this precious life. We use this precious experience. We show up into our relationships. We get to live and declare what we want for our lives, how we want to be, and how we want to recreate ourselves and heal our lineage as a result. When we consciously recreate ourselves, we get to heal our lineage and we get to create possibility moving forward for those who haven't even been born in our lineage yet. When we do our own work to transform lower frequency, I would say material, and by lower frequency, I don't mean that as a judgment. I mean it as a frequency wavelength that is just different than that of pure light, right? And so we bring that lower frequency into the light through different work, and we become more whole and more peaceful and more self-accepting and more loving and more easy with a laugh and more clear about our boundaries and more fearless about what we want, what we want to create in this one precious life. So here we are, 2020 lockdown, and I think, okay, we've got to figure something else out. I want to give these moments away. I want to just allow young people to hear each other, to be inspired, to take these tools and run, run as far as they want with these tools to create the life that they truly, truly, truly love and wish for themselves. And how does that all start? By talking about what's going on really. By admitting what's actually going on deep down. And for a lot of us, for a lot of us, it's not that deep. It's right there at the surface or just under the surface. And for others, it feels subterranean. Hey, I'm good. But something, maybe something could be better.
So now you know a little bit about me. And I'll share more along the way. And I really need you to know that this podcast, Sex, Drugs, and Enlightenment, Unpacking the Profane in an Era of Awakening, is an experiment. And you're going to hear me get it right, make mistakes, even if there is a right and wrong. I don't even know right now. But you're going to hear me give it my all. That I can guarantee. And you're going to hear and feel the love and the safety in the space between me and the client. And you're going to feel and hear the bravery and the courage and the extraordinary wisdom and willingness of these young people who show up here to share their stories, to ask for advice, to unpack what is stuck, where they're confused, and what there is to learn in order to move forward. Remember, we're mapping out an entire area of development that has never been mapped before. What is it like to move from being a young person into the first stages of adulthood? What can we do to improve our thinking, to allow ourselves to feel our feelings in a mature and healthy way? How do we communicate with each other? How do we combat depression that maybe we feel on our own or maybe we inherited and we learned? All of this we're going to address and you will hear me grow through the process. I don't know what's coming. I really don't, but I'm here for it. And I'm here to create opportunity for those who can't get into therapy, who those who aren't sure what therapy is, for those who are just feeling so alone and isolated and just need to know, oh my God, that's my story too. Oh my God. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for your beingness, your willingness to listen to these episodes and to discover what we're all about to discover together. Remember, I welcome your feedback. I welcome your reflection. And if you're interested on being a guest, in being a guest, you can go to my website, oakleyogden.com and click on podcast. And that will take you right to the form that you fill out and me and my team will get it, check it out and reach out to you. There are other ways to keep in touch with me, to hear about what shows are coming up, announcements about shows, and also announcements about workshops and programs that I'm always cooking up in the background for all of you. You can find me on Instagram. We're getting on TikTok step by step. I know I'm getting there. And you can also sign up for my newsletter, which you can also find through the website. So again, Oakley, O-A-K-L-E-Y, Ogden, O-G-D-E-N dot com. Click on podcast or sign up for the newsletter. And I cannot wait to be with you soon. Thank you. Have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your day. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you are left feeling inspired and connected. And if you feel interested or called to be a guest on this show, you can apply through oakleyogden.com and hit podcast, the upper right-hand corner. That will take you to where you need to be. I can't wait to hear from you. 
just remember, in the meantime, you have got what it takes.